Dear fellow redeemed, what is your most precious possession? Would your answer be Jesus? Without the Savior, what do we really have? How about your most precious earthly possession? Wouldn't that have to be life? God seems to think so. In the fifth commandment, he places a protective shield around life, both our own and our neighbors. Hands off, he says. Don't hurt or harm, he commands. And there's a good reason for this, for there's an important connection between God's gift of Jesus and God's gift of life. First, God creates life. All life comes from God. God created all things by his powerful word. Let there be, by these words of God, every living creature that moves was brought forth. And as the crown of his creation, God created mankind, as we're told in Genesis 2. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And in Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Through the miracle of reproduction, God still creates life. Moreover, God preserves life. The dinner table prayer from the Psalms found in the catechism, echoes this. The eyes of all wait upon you, O Lord, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God clothes us and feeds us. He keeps our hearts beating and lungs breathing. He keeps disease away from us or heals us when it comes until he wants to take us home to him. As the psalmist prays, my times are in your hand. Those who cannot give life have no right to end life. When they do, they take what comes from God and belongs to him. More importantly, God has a sacred purpose for life. The old saying, life is what you make it, is simply not true. Life is what God made it. God grants life as that precious time of grace for each individual to be brought to faith in his son. Jesus, our Savior, says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. It's as simple and precious as that. Life is that time God grants each of us to receive the full life, the eternal life, the life that never ends in Jesus. No one has the right to shorten that precious time, either for themselves or for anyone else. Yet what do we find all around us? What God begins, humans end. What God heals, humans hurt. What God has a sacred purpose for, humans sinfully pervert. The Second recorded sin in the scripture is that of one brother killing another, and it still hasn't happened today. Thus, a loving God put a protective fence around 
his precious gift of life. Even to the point of granting authority to the government to end the life of one who commits the act of murder. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. God protects life. But it's not just the act of murder to which this commandment, you shall not kill, speaks. Peter walked in the sandals of Cain when in the shadows of Gethsemane he sliced off the ear of the high priest's servant. And so do we when by our reckless actions, thoughtless deeds, or neglect of duty cause others harm. Joseph's brothers wore those same sandals when they cruelly sold their detested brother into slavery and cold-heartedly caused their aged father Jacob to mourn. So do we when our tongue harms others, leaving emotional scars. As Jesus says in Matthew 5, You have heard it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. There's more. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him, John, the apostle of love, declares. In the eyes of the one who protects life, looks do kill, and God will hold us accountable for hateful thoughts and belligerent feelings. So precious is the individual's time of grace in the eyes of the one who gives it. Many times... We have heard Jesus' second great commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But still we ask, but who is my neighbor? Sometimes we ask, act, ask this defensively and sometimes flippantly. If we want to avoid the issue, we ask, but who is my neighbor? But we really don't need to ask that any longer. We have no excuse because the question has long been answered for us. In answer to the law expert's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan. In essence, Jesus was saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, who is my neighbor? It is rather, who can I be a neighbor to? That's the question. The man who fell among the thieves and was left half dead. Who was a neighbor to him? The beaten man was a neighbor to those who walked by him. Yet the only one who showed mercy to him was the Samaritan. He showed mercy by bandaging the beaten man's wounds and then paying for his hotel bill so that he could recuperate. This foreigner was the neighbor because he knew the real question is, who needs me? to be a neighbor. Now we know too. That, my friends in Christ, is what God means when he says in the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. Not only that we do no bodily harm to our neighbor, but that we help and befriend him in every need. Because God loves you and your neighbor, 
You will help and support those who need you. Now, can you hear the echoes of children crying, children abused, children crushed with words? Can you now see the hurt in the eyes of young people who have been abandoned by their parents physically or emotionally? Can you hear the moans of those confined to bed at home or in nursing home facilities? Listen carefully, for sometimes we are the ones who are causing the pain. We may be the ones saying the cutting words. We may be the ones who severely punish others. We may be the ones who cause the cringing. We may be the ones who ignore those in need. We may be the ones who say, can't somebody else help? But Jesus tells us no. It is our responsibility to be neighbors to those who need a neighbor. But it's such a big task. We feel overwhelmed and often fail in our duties as neighbor. The law, especially the fifth commandment, convicts us. Yet with our confession and trust in Jesus, God forgives. God's compassion is infinitely inclusive, completely comprehensive, and perfectly all-embracing. To those of you who have abused and hurt and killed one another with your words and actions for the sake of Jesus, God says, I forgive you. You shall not kill, God says. And then Jesus perfectly fulfilled that commandment in your place. Therefore, the Heavenly Father can declare his pardon upon you and me for all those times we have spoken those wicked words, times that we've expressed the hatred within our heart, times we have cut people down with our words. God says you are cleansed because of the perfect obedience of Christ. And what a difference that makes in our lives. When the Spirit of Christ lives in our hearts, we are able to pay attention to the letter of the law and hold back from killing, from hurting and harming, from taking revenge, from violence, from hurtful language. By God's power, we are also able to work at living the spirit of the law. When our enemy hungers, we feed them. When they thirst, we give them drink. We hold back from hurting and harming others. We seek out ways to help. That is because we know that in Christ, we have received God's love and forgiveness. And his love for others now lives in us. Amen. Please rise for prayer. Oh God, you command me not to kill. May I so fear and love you so that I do not hurt my neighbor in any way, but use me to help and be a friend to them in all their physical needs. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.